Well, who in their right mind preaches from this little, tiny little book here? Yeah, okay. You know, we don't hear very many sermons from this book. Maybe because we can't even pronounce it properly. I mean, is it Philemon? Is it Philemon? Is it Philemon? I mean, I mean, how in the world do you pronounce it? So maybe preachers are scared away from this book because they can't even pronounce the book. You know, this little letter only has one chapter. It's so small. And it, it, it deals with a runaway slave. Oh my goodness. Why are we talking about slavery on 4th of July weekend? That is not very politically correct. Slavery is a really embarrassing part of our nation's history. And what's disturbing for us is that when we see slavery in in the New Testament, Paul doesn't even speak out against it. Yet, here it is in Holy Scripture. What are we supposed to make of that? Well, I think for one thing, we, we need to recognize that slavery in the Roman Empire was very different from slavery in the United States. In the Roman Empire, slavery was a legal status. It had nothing to do with race at all. Slaves could own land in the Roman Empire. Some slaves were doctors. Some were interpreters. Some slaves were key legal and military advisors to some of the most important and powerful people in the world. Many slaves in the Roman Empire were treated as unpaid staff members of a household. If they were freed, slaves could become Roman citizens and even vote. But the reality is that they weren't treated very well. They were treated as property. They could be mistreated. Although some Romans were encouraged to treat them well because that was the right thing to do. So what's going on in this really short, interesting letter from Paul? I love this letter from Paul. I absolutely love it. It seems that Philemon, I guess we'll pronounce it that way for everybody, he was a wealthy man in the city of Colossae. Colossae is the, is the city where we get the, the, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Actually, the church in that city met in Philemon's home. He was a Christian leader in the early church. And by having the church meet in his home, he was taking a big risk because persecution was starting Well, it seems that one of his slaves named Onesimus ran away. And he made it all the way to Rome where, I don't think it was a coincidence, he he met Paul. Paul converted him. Onesimus became a Christian. And because Paul wanted to follow proper Roman law, he encouraged Onesimus to return home. And face the music from Philemon. So Paul wrote this letter and he gave it to Onesimus to hand deliver back to Philemon. What a nerve wracking attempt at return that must have been for this runaway slave. Before you get mad, read this. 
And it was a letter from Paul. The letter encourages Philemon to show kindness to this runaway slave named Onesimus because Onesimus was now Philemon's brother in Christ. This is tricky, isn't it? Think about this. Philemon could have punished his runaway slave. He had every right to. But instead, Paul encourages him to show him grace and to welcome him back. Paul even says, look, if he took anything from you when he ran away, I'll repay it. Just welcome him. He's your brother in Christ now. Kind of reminds us, or reminds me of of Jesus' parable of, of the runaway son, doesn't it? The prodigal son, how he comes back and he's welcomed. See, when, when we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that relationship should supersede any other relationships we might have with each other. For example, with our church staff, I might serve as their supervisor. I give them an annual review on their, their performance. I mean, I, I mean, I'm use the word boss. I mean, that's just the way it's set up. But my primary relationship with them is our Christian relationship. It's our fellowship in the family of Christ. One of our friends and uh, a member of a church that I served in Texas shares this story of, of getting the contract, he was an electrician, to do the electrical work for a house that was being built by somebody who was the president-elect of the United States. Okay, Texas, who might that be? Hmm, who might that be? Well, our friend always wore a ball cap, and he was sticking his head in the wall, so he turned the cap around. And as he was running wire through the wall, he felt a hand on his back. Now, our friend was wearing a cap with the United Methodist logo on it. And it was facing backwards. And he turned around, and there was the president-elect standing there. And he said, hi. Introduced himself by his first name, and he said, I see your cap. Are you a Methodist like I am? And this electrician, "Um, yes, sir. And this president-elect said, well, you know what? That makes us brothers, doesn't it? I'm glad to know that somebody who loves Jesus is going to be wiring this house for us. Think about this. The most powerful man in the world had no heirs about him. His primary identity, primary relationship with this electrician was that they were both followers of Jesus. They weren't a hired electrician and the president-elect of the United States in a hallway talking to each other. It was two brothers in Christ having a conversation. Isn't that beautiful? See, Paul wanted Philemon to know that Onesimus wasn't just a house slave anymore. He was Philemon's brother in Christ. And because of that, it changes everything. I think sometimes we can be so focused on things that divide us 
that we forget that we're all in this together. That's what I've discovered about this great nation from time to time. When a crisis occurs, when people are in need, we come together, don't we? My family witnessed that in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. We see it when there's flooding like they've seen in West Virginia. It happens after a terrorist attack like what happened in Orlando. People come together. It doesn't matter where we're from. It doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter what political party we belong to. People have a need. And the people of God come together to take care of them. That's what we do. And, you know, that's how camp in this city came together. We didn't want this event, which is very expensive, to... to, We we, we didn't want it to be out of the reach of what Centenary can do. I don't think camp in the city has ever come to a town the size of Danville. Most of the churches have thousands of members. It's like you're pulling up to a shopping mall. No, this is the church. It's not the shopping mall. And they're coming here because we believe that the children of Danville are worth that. Because Camp in the City has proven over the years that they know how to bring children to Jesus Christ. So thanks to the faithfulness of all of you, we've raised the funds to provide everybody a scholarship. Ten families have opened their homes to house the college staff members. Volunteers have come together to make this happen. This is an historic week for us. This is an historic week for Danville. They've never seen anything like it. Paul writes in Galatians 3 that Christ has leveled the playing field. Paul writes, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, male nor female. He says, you're all Christians. You're all one in Christ. I was a pastor in Texas. There was one one occasion where we discovered that there were Christians in our town. How can I say this? They were there without the government's knowledge. Was that a nice way of saying it? Y'all know what I'm talking about. These folks were our sisters and brothers in Christ, yet they had nothing. And so the church council met, and you know, we didn't have to think twice about it. Our fellow Christians were in need, and we were there to help them, and we did. And we even had a discussion in this church council meeting this was back, this is 20 plus years ago. You know, are we going to face charges for aiding and abetting illegal aliens? The church council didn't care. They were ready to face the consequences because our Christian sisters and brothers needed us. That church council was faced with a decision just as Philemon would have to make a decision with Onesimus. It was the same situation. See, our primary family is our Christian family. You've heard me say it. Our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God. 
Our primary responsibilities as followers of Jesus is to make disciples. But we're not alone in that. We're all in this together. Think about this. If you look in your bulletin, you you walk through, you see that our children's director is Jill Winter. Let me tell you, she does an amazing job. Oh my goodness. We are blessed. But the task of ministering to children is not the sole responsibility of Jill Winter. Did you know that? It's all of ours. She just kind of steers the children's ministry ship. But it's all of our responsibility. Jeff Corbin, our enthusiastic new youth director, the gentle giant, have y'all seen Jeff? He actually fit in my car. I drove him around. <laughs> Kathy got a picture. Yeah, that was giant, you know, like a shoehorn to get him out, though. It was really interesting. Now, Jeff doesn't have the sole responsibility of working with our youth. We can't take our middle schooler and say, okay, Jeff, fix them. No. We're all called to do that. He just leads us. The trustees can't take care of all this property by themselves. Patty Overing gave us an amen in the early service from that. The missions team can't engage and promote our supportive missionaries all by themselves. Y'all, we're all in this together. Because of Paul's letter and its teaching, Philemon was going to have to change the way that he treated his returning runaway slave. Which reminds me of something very interesting, by the way. We didn't read this scripture passage, but in, but in verse 22, Paul tells Philemon, he says, keep your guest room ready. I'm going to come visit you. Now, this is really interesting. Paul was a prisoner in Rome. He was waiting to be executed. There's no way that he would ever travel to Colossae again. So why does he say, keep your guest room clean, I'm coming to visit? Maybe it's a way to remind Philemon that, you know, you'd better treat Onesimus like a brother and not a slave because I could show up any time and check on you. See, part of living together as the family of God is that we're accountable to one another. We need to be able to trust one another. Because listen, we're in a world that is hostile towards Jesus' people. Y'all, we need each other. If we're going to make it, if we're going to be faithful, we need each other. And I wonder, I wonder if that was part of Jesus' reasoning for telling the disciples on that last supper what we call Holy Communion. To do that often. Do this as often as you can. See, communion means community. It's not for individuals. And it's not just any community. It's a holy community. It's set apart from other gatherings that we might have. Have I said this enough this morning? We're all in this together. No one's alone in the family of God. 
It's what makes us the body of Christ. And my prayer for our church is that we will continue to live and work and even play together without anything coming between us. Not borders or titles or denominations, even sports teams. Yeah, now I'm preaching. Because listen, we're the faithful people of God. And because we're the faithful people of God, we're all in this together. Let's not forget that. Let's pray.